Yes, I think we're live. Welcome to the second session today here in the Expert Theater. Great that you are joining. We're really happy that you join our online event. Uh, my name is Jeanette Denboer and I will be the moderator of this session. And I'm really excited because we've got such a cool topic this hour. But before I'm going to tell more about that, let's first go to you as a visitor, because I'm so curious who is watching this. Um, there is a chat button uh, when you go to uh, the on the right side, there's a chat button. Please leave your name and the country where you're watching from. So we have a bit an idea who's uh, who's here joining us. So in the meantime, I will uh, explain a bit more about the topic of this afternoon. So, or this morning still, sorry. <laughs> um, we're gonna talk about the autonomous greenhouse, a topic that, a topic that a lot of people talk about, growers want to know more about. So um, I'm happy we've got a lot of experts here to uh, share their thoughts on this topic. Because more and more technology is being used in the, in the greenhouse. And actually, in the past, all growers just relied on their green fingers. But now sensors are there, uh, climate computers, all kind of techniques. So yeah, growers uh, can rely more on data. But how far is the development of these techniques? And will growers be needed in the future in the greenhouse? Or can er everybody grow crops? I hope we get some answers on that. Um, before I'm gonna introduce all speakers, uh, let's first go to the chat and see who's joining. I hope somebody's already responded. Yeah, lots of people I see. Sydney uh, from the Netherlands is here. Uh, Gunther from Berlin, hi, welcome. We've got, uh, wow, Sean from Australia, Ailey from London. Uh, we've got Ariel from Malaysia. Uh, Louis from Portugal, now there are too many people to all uh, say hi to. Also Christian from the United States, it's early for, for you, I think. Well, welcome everybody, great that you're here. So let me go to the speakers uh, of this session. We will start today with Isabella Rigini and Anna Petropoulou. They're both from Wageningen University and uh, they were working on the Autonomous Greenhouse Challenge. You can't have missed that. It's uh, amazing, uh, an amazing project and uh, a lot is written about it. Uh, so I'm really curious what their story is. So uh, welcome Anna and Isabella. Um, then it's time for Gursel Karakor. Hi Gursel from Grodon. Welcome, you're here, great you're here. Uh, Gursel is a data scientist uh, working at the eGrow and he will highlight some uh, new software features in his presentation. Then it's time for a duo presentation. We've got uh, MEA Tech and Tugro, uh, Jurian and Olivier. Hi guys, welcome, great you're joining. Um, they give a presentation on crop sensors and how these crop sensors help to increase effective use of high press fogging systems. Um, and then our last speaker of today is Tom Rexna. He's from Aranet. Hi, Tom. Great you're here. Welcome. He will talk about the benefits of wireless sensor technology and how it can help optimize your greenhouse and increase your yield. Well, I saw you found the chat. So uh, in that same chat, please uh, write down all the questions you have during the presentation because uh, at the end of the presentation, we have 
approximately 15 minutes time for all of your questions. So do not hesitate to write them down and we will try to answer as much as possible. Then there's one thing left to say for me for now. Enjoy and see you back in 50 minutes. I think we're going to start. Good morning or good afternoon, yeah. everybody. I'm Isabella Righini, and I'm here with my colleague uh, Anna Petropoulou. We both work at Wageningen University and Research in the business unit Greenhouse Horticulture. This was the second year that we were involved in the Autonomous Greenhouse Challenge organized together with Tencent. As organizer and part of the technical staff, we are going to give you today an overview of the last edition, starting from the challenge setup and including some results and lessons learned. First of all, I would like to start from some consideration concerning uh, the situation of the greenhouse industries nowadays. Uh, companies as well as greenhouse compartments are getting bigger and bigger. Moreover, extreme events such as the current COVID-19 pandemic have shown how farms can become uh, temporarily less accessible. Internationally, there's a lack of skilled uh, staff able to oversee all the aspects of the production and several complex decisions need to be made in order to meet market requirement as well as sustainability goals. This is why more autonomous and remote control strategies would prove beneficial for the greenhouse production sector. Experts in the horticultural and AI domain from all over the world were asked to form teams and take part in international competition, that is the Autonomous Greenhouse Challenge. The goal was to develop intelligence algorithms and new sensor data to remotely grow the crop and maximize the net profit while taking into account the resource use. The teams were competing against each other and their results were compared to a human-operated greenhouse that served as reference. The teams had all equal conditions. They had the same crop, cherry tomato, and they all started from the same starting material. Actually, the crop was one of the biggest difference from last year edition where cucumber was used because the team had also to take into consideration the quality of the product and the quality was used in order to set and determine the price. Each, um, each team had one compartment uh, provided with equipment typical of commercial high-tech greenhouse, for example, a heating system or lighting system, which HPS and LEDs, as well as a set of default sensors, mainly for climate, irrigation and root zones. All teams could retrieve data and send instruction for climate and irrigation control through an interface provided by Let's Grow, so all data were centralized. And last but not least, all teams had a working internet connection. Teams had to control the climate and the irrigation, but of course they had also to send instructions regarding the crop. In this case, they had our greenhouse staff available, who was actually implementing the team requests on a weekly basis. Um, crop management instructions included decision on uh, stem densities, but also fruits and leaf pruning, as well as topping date. Um, and, the, and the staff was also in charge to collect data on crop parameters and send them to the teams. Given the greenhouse setup described by Isabella as well as the control settings, let's have a closer look on the climate conditions realized in the different greenhouse compartments. We can see relatively stable temperature regimes for compartments 301, 303 and 304, whereas for 305 and 306 we see higher, followed by moderate and in the end uh, high temperature regimes that was probably a result of um, the teams uh, to accelerate the development as well as the 
fruit ripening of, um, at, at the end of the uh, greenhouse experiment. On the right graph, we see the daily light integrals as a result of the artificial and natural light. Uh, we see 305 reaching the highest lighting uh, usage, whereas the reference and the winners maintained an average lighting strategy. For CO2 concentration, values vary within 600 and 900 ppm in most part of the growing season, with lowered levels at the end of the growing experiment. Two compartments, uh, 301 and 302, maintain high levels with uh, high CO2 dosings, uh, whereas for 305, um, we see a comparable um, dosing uh, as 301 and 302, however, with lower concentration. On the right graph, uh, we see the EC um, on the drain uh, that is assumed to reflect the EC on the root uh, zone of um, uh, our plants. It is assumed uh, that the EC induces hybrids. However, in this uh, growing experiment, this relation cannot be seen. In addition to the climate strategies, teams also applied different crop strategies. On the left graph, we see the stem densities um, varying at the start and during the growing experiment, as well as uh, the selected by the team's uh, dates uh, to remove uh, the head of the crop. Despite the variation seen in the stem densities and topping dates, uh, the majority of the teams managed to harvest uh, most of the trusses uh, at the end of their experiment, except 301 and 304. For the realized climate and crop strategies, uh, the teams reached the cumulative fresh uh, weight production of uh, the figure. Highest production was realized by the winning team Automators, followed by Automators and the reference growers. Prices of the harvested products uh, were varying during the growing experiment, and as you see, they were higher at the beginning, uh, with a declining trend um, until the end of the experiment. Prices were a function of the harvested product times the price um, per kilogram of fruits and fruit quality. Uh, for the realized uh, climate and crop strategies, the cost components are shown in this slide and they are distinguished in initial plant um, costs, uh, operational costs related to resources as electricity, CO2, heating and also labor. As you see, uh, for all the uh, teams, a major component uh, was as expected the electricity costs. Having said that, uh, here in this figure you see the final ranking in net profit that was defined as income minus costs. Teams Automators ranked first, followed by ICU and Digilog, with the winning team realizing highest production and high income with average costs. In the competition, net profit accounted for 50% of the total score. 20% of the total score was accounted for sustainability that was defined as the ratio of the resource input per unit of the product of uh, commodities such as energy, for heating, for electricity, CO2, water and nutrients. Uh, the winning team, 306, realized uh, high temperature regimes that were uh, reached with, uh, however, a high heat use efficiency. Potentially, that was uh, a result of their high humidity levels uh, as well as their limited, their limited ventilation. Uh, 
here also you see for EU ACAS and for Digilo an example of um, the relation between the heat emitted by uh, directly heating pipes and for electricity. As for uh, one team, you see a, a low heat use efficiency with a high efficiency on electricity and on the other way around a high heat use efficiency with a very low um, electricity use efficiency. Finally, 30% of the total points uh, was given on the AI approach followed by the teams and the ranking here is given as first automators followed by ICU and automators. What were the take-home messages for this year's Autonomous Greenhouse Challenge? Uh, all AI teams uh, outperformed the human reference. We can see also differences in climate strategies. However, we see that the decisive role in this year's competition was the crop management uh, of the different teams, both on production and the quality of the harvested fruits. As data-driven uh, methods are hampered by data availability, more data with meaningful information need to be collected for further development of these methodologies. For this reason, sensors, uh, camera systems, um, vision algorithms, computer vision algorithms need to be explored uh, in order to assist in automated detection of crop characteristics, for example, for plant load. Finally, towards the concept of fully autonomous greenhouses, uh, more technologies, more innovative concepts as robotics uh, will need to be introduced for automated uh, crop handling, for example, uh, harvests. We would like to thank you for your attention and uh, if you have any questions, we would be happy to answer them. Uh, if you have uh, any other questions, please contact us in the information seen in this slide. In this video, I will talk more about where the magic happens. Now is a good time to combine plant science and data science. But how do you combine plant science and data science together? If we apply it in a correct way, we could potentially grow vegetables more efficiently and more sustainably. But do you know how to combine plant science and data science? The common point between those sciences is that they both rely on new technology and also research. I'm going to talk about the top three misconceptions in this video. Misconception one, for growers, my gut feeling is accurate. We respect the knowledge, skills and wisdom of a grower but when we talk about big data, to see all the patterns from all the sensors that are recorded every second or so, it's not quite possible for a human being to calculate everything and come up with decisions. Actually, the technology is not uh, a means to replace the grower with machines or computers. No, the computers and the technology, AI and data science is there to help you. It's a decision support mechanism. So you can make use of all the data and all the insights that the model gives you. With data science, you can take your own decisions and take control of your greenhouse and work more efficiently. And misconception two, that is the generic models for data science or plant science are directly applicable or valid for all growers. 
No, this is not true either, because each and every grower has its own setting and own structure, like the lit or non-lit greenhouse, or the type of the greenhouse, the geol equation of it, all the climate parameters within a greenhouse, the growing media type, etc. There is not one magic model to work for everything. And misconception three, when I have this data science and AI technology applied, I will get the results immediately. No, it's not like that because it is related with data and it takes a lot of data preparation and data processing before you get some results. These are only the top three misconceptions. Hi. You've just seen my video, but I didn't have the chance to introduce myself. I have more than 20 years of experience in data science, machine learning and AI. I worked in many different industries. Now I'm in the horticulture industry and uh, have been working for Grodan as part of the Ego team for, for the last two years. My mission is to bring some AI into the greenhouse. I will tell you more on how to combine plant science and data science with the concrete example of our data-driven yield forecaster in the next few minutes. First, some background uh, information about plant science versus data science. Plant science is a classical science involving the plant physiology, genetics, and the growing of the crops. It is structured and systematic. Whereas data science is fairly new, and it's basically extracting useful and actionable knowledge from raw data. Data science, it is more of an art than, than science. What those two sciences uh, have in common is that they both make use of the latest technology and contain a strong research element in them. This combination could do the magic. It can give us a better crop quality, more yield, and more efficiency in the greenhouse. Now, a couple of extra misconceptions that were not mentioned in the video. Misconception, plant models will work directly as data science models and generic data science models will work directly on plants. This is not quite true. The fact is, the real-life behavior of plants might considerably differ from the theoretical plant physiology models, as there are many external and unexpected factors involved, like extreme climate conditions, pests and diseases, labor issues, etc. What might be valid in a lab-type environment will not work directly in real life. You cannot assume that well-known generic data science models and recipes will work directly on plants. This also works the other way around. These predictive models need to be customized because. Another misconception, just hiring a data scientist and a developer will do the job. Well, this is not quite true either. The fact is, of course, it is very important to work with the right people, whether it is outsourced or in-house. 
but a team to develop decent uh, data science product should contain sufficient number of data scientists, developers, domain experts, usually more than one, product managers, and UX designers. It is important to find an established platform that supplies you with a comprehensive team to work with, other than trying to build this team uh, in-house, because it's quite difficult. Of course, a lot of good data is needed. Well, the challenges that are in the greenhouse today, uh, it's a dynamic model, it's a dynamic system, and it's quite complex to model because the conditions in a greenhouse change constantly due to outdoor conditions such as wind, light and temperature levels, also due to indoor factors, which we also talked about, like labor, planning, uh, pests and diseases, etc. All these factors affect the growth of plants enormously. And as a result, the quality and the quantity of the harvested crops are also affected. That makes predicting and planning your next steps quite difficult. Also, by that token, it's quite difficult to build the yield forecaster as well. But I built this data and AI-driven yield forecaster in Egro. It is available for both tomato and pepper. Also, it is developed with the feedback from our growers. It's not a one-shot model. Uh, there is continuous improvement and development is involved. Of course, data is the key. The more, the better. And the graphs you see here are directly taken from the uh, platform. So they show the live performance of the forecaster. Blue bars are the predicted, while the gray ones are the weekly real yields. How does it work? How it was built? Well, it examines an extensive set of greenhouse climate, crop and root zone parameters, and then gives out one, two, three and four week out uh, forecasts. It has quite useful features like uh, exporting the data to a CSV file, or it is also possible to authorize external persons uh, to access the module. Uh, this forecaster uh, pro provides uh, quite accurate and clear predictions of, uh, of the yield and it is good for uh, planning purposes, of course. Thank you for your attention. And if you want to learn more, please check out those links, or you can just directly contact me for questions, comments. Thanks again. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, live from Etteleur in the Netherlands, in the Enyatec manufacturing location. Uh, my name is JJ van der Bremen from MJTech, and I'm here together with Olivier Wegerem from To Grow. This is a, a Dutch-Belgium uh, live uh, uh, introduction on uh, high-pressure fogging and how can crop sensors uh, help to have a more effective use of fogging and managing humidity in your greenhouse. 
If we uh, go uh, to the fogging uh, discussions, uh, you as a grower, you will look at climate settings and you look at uh, temperatures that you are uh, facing. And this is from an example earlier this year uh, presented in Canada, looking in British Columbia. Uh, do they need uh, fogging at all? If uh, temperatures are modest, uh, if uh, sunshine hours are uh, okay and giving uh, the right uh, level of radiation that you want, and you look at humidity levels, then you think, okay, this might be okay already, but averages are not that meaningful. Um, it has to be uh, that you have to look at what are the extreme hot, sunny days. And uh, if temperatures are above 30 degrees Celsius, those are the days where uh, you really will appreciate if there's an extra button in your greenhouse available to play with. Uh, that is high pressure fogging. Uh, we are a part of uh, advanced greenhouses. Uh, and uh, if you look at uh, uh, parameters that you want to control, uh, people look at heating, uh, say temperatures, you look at lighting, uh, you look at CO2. Uh, but one of the things that is important for crops as well is humidity. And if you look at uh, the greenhouse infrastructures and so onwards, uh, we as MEATEC, we are a provider a turnkey from uh, uh, the nozzles uh, up to the whole piping uh, to a complete pump unit that's bringing uh, water from just a few bars to a hundred bar high pressure level to make sure that we can create very small micron droplets and create the right humidity in that greenhouse. Um, so we are a hardware guy uh, in this kind of uh, session about uh, uh, autonomous uh, uh, management and sensors, um, where the hardware has been always in the past been operated by a climate control system. So via API interfaces, uh, the measurement box in a compartment is signaling temperature or humidity. And based on that, our system is activated with pulses and then back on pause to give the air the time to absorb the humidity. Over the last couple of years, we have seen that there's from uh, different companies uh, more available in terms of sensors. And these sensors, they can provide additional insight to make sure you can control your crop growth. Uh, so from that point of view, uh, we have taken some steps over the last years to see uh, what can that bring. Uh, before we go into that on the sensors, uh, just a little bit back on uh, humidity. Um, it doesn't matter if you are talking about uh, uh, Phalaenopsis or uh, Lysiantus, or you're talking about strawberries or uh, the vegetables, tomatoes, uh, like discussed here. Uh, a lot of the crops, they exist 80 to 90% out of water. And uh, during these sunny, uh, hot days, uh, uh, these crops, they evaporate. And to balance this out, uh, um, you want to have that tool to, to play with humidity and bring it up to 60-70% levels, uh, depending on the crop, of course, and also the crop stage. Uh, in the early crop stage, uh, you might want to have a higher humidity level of maybe even 80 or 90% to stimulate the root growth and get the crop going. In the later stage, depending on the type of crop with the leaves, they will evaporate more themselves and help to play a role in that humidity. But having that fogging system, you can steer on that and make sure that the plants are in balance. Or 
uh, for the day-night rhythms and some of the crops like strawberries, uh, you like to provide the, the night kind of cooling and make sure that they can do their recovery. Um, so from uh, things they uh, have uh, absorbed during the day, uh, then for the recovery part, uh, you want to play with that. And uh, as you all know, if we uh, evaporate uh, and you go from liquid to gas, uh, that uh, takes energy out and that creates uh, adiabatic cooling and brings down the temperature in your greenhouse. Now that sets on, say, the physics and uh, backgrounds of the high pressure fogging. How does that make any sense to uh, the usage and how can crop sensors play a role? I give the word to Olivier. Hey guys, thank you, Jan, for the introduction. Um, so I work for Togrow and Togrow offers plant-based measurement systems. So we measure the plant itself in an objective and continuous method. Our first product was a phytostem system, which measures sap flow and stem diameter on larger crops, thinking about cucumber, cannabis, tomato, also apples, blueberry. In addition, um, we have just launched our phytoclip system, which measures uh, leaf thickness and the stem diameter in smaller crops, thinking about lettuce, microgreens, flowers, strawberries, and both kits they measure actually the reaction towards all actions taken in the greenhouse. They can be installed throughout the whole growing season. They are both suitable for herbaceous and woody crops and both indoor and outdoor use is possible. So here we have a little example of two neighboring growers, um, one without a fogging system and one with a fogging system. So in the beginning of the day, you will see that the sap flow, so the blue line here, uh, will start to rise. Uh, this is activity, transpiration, that's rising. And what, what's happening is that the stem diameter will start to shrink. It's using up those internal reserves inside the stem to suffice in its own maintenance and transpiration. And this is a good thing. This is your plant working. But at the end of the day, towards the afternoon and evening, when sap flow is reducing uh, and the plant is more going into a rest phase, it's very important for that plant to get back on tension and start recovering those used up reserves. And in this case, it was a very hot and dry day and this, the, the user or the grower without the fogging just was not able to help sufficiently and the plant was not able to gain balance. Actually, he suffered a lot of blossom end rots. While the user with the, with the fogging system was able to reduce the VPD sufficiently and was able to help the plant gain tension and recover those used up reserves and gain perfect balance. So through correct use of the MJ Tech fog system, we can really stimulate that plant recovery and using our measurements, we can visualize that. So how do we actually stimulate that better recovery? So inside the stem, these are cells, little balloons filled with water. And on the bottom, we're constantly pushing water, which is irrigation and root pressure. And on top, we're constantly using up water, which is actually your demand and the VPD. So by controlling both that suction force and that pushing force, we can control the plant better and guide it in the desired direction. So using the MJTech Fox system, we're able to lower that VPD and help that plant to recover much better than without. So using our measurement system in combination with the MJTech fog system, we're actually um, able to visualize that uh, increased recovery through reduced VPD on those hot and dry days. We're also able to use the fog system on that really crucial moment when the plant actually needs it. Instead of fogging a whole day long, 
and just creating a lazy and weak plant. We're also able to reduce stress in plants and stimulate more vegetative growth. All these points are only a tip of the iceberg of all the insights that can be gained using the to grow measurement system and our consultancy services. Okay, thanks uh, Oliver for, Olivier for uh, clarifying this um, and uh, these uh, crop sensors, how they can provide additional insights on uh, when to use the fogging. Uh, we have uh, uh, done hundreds of installations over the world and uh, sometimes uh, people are, uh, when they are starting, they're not sure how much should they use it uh, and uh, with what kind of pulse or post times and how to make sure uh, they get really the optimum out of it. And that's where uh, we see uh, we can, uh, with the insights uh, from uh, crop sensors, go one step further. Um, uh, in terms of the climate settings, we see uh, people are able to get there. But when it's about the recovery part, it might be useful to have half an hour or an hour extra usage uh, of the fogging to make sure that the recovery is really stimulated. Uh, sometimes it also can be done without using the fogging and it's just a matter of ventilation. Uh, in the end, it's the insight from crop sensors that really are focusing on the crops, and that's uh, uh, even more key than, than, than climate parameters. Uh, and that's what we want to try to get across uh, with this presentation. Um, what we are doing now is that uh, uh, also in that cooperation that we are doing with some of the growers, uh, we are looking at uh, for uh, people that are starting with MEA tech systems, they can get this initial support package uh, where they get the complete sensor kit of, uh, to grow, uh, including consultation sessions to make sure you have a real smooth start of uh, applying fogging uh, to your particular situation. And uh, from there on, you can do the uh, subscriptions directly with to grow. But uh, this is to make sure you have an easy and smooth start uh, with an MJTEC uh, high pressure fogging. That said that, thanks for the attention and back to the studio in Amsterdam. Hi there, my name is Tuams and I'm the Marketing Director of RNET. And today I will be also joined by Patrick, who is the Product Manager at Priva. And together we would like to talk about the benefits that wireless sensors and wireless sensing can bring to the horticulture market. So why wireless? Well, nowadays a lot of greenhouse production depends on the grower's knowledge. And uh, growers, of course, are looking for more insights into their greenhouses. And extra data can give this insight. That would mean less dependence on the grower's knowledge itself and better understanding of the growing process and of course optimization of the growing process. Sensors can generate this extra data and this extra data is the first step towards becoming more data driven and of course for the final goal of creating completely autonomous greenhouses. So if we compare wired sensors to wireless sensors, well, wired sensors typically come with higher installation costs. So you need a lot of pre-planning, you need to lay wires, you probably need to take some damage to the property as you're laying the wires. And once you've put the sensors there, there's quite limited capabilities of where you can move it. Whereas with wireless sensors, the installation costs are 
are relatively low because you just need to go and put the sensor wherever you want it. You don't need to have any damages to the property. And if you later decide that you actually need the sensor in a different place, you can easily move it. So wireless sensors are also quite mobile. And to actually bring this technology to the market, we have partnered up with the biggest horticulture experts out there, Priva. And here I would like to ask Patrick to say a couple of words about this partnership. Priva is very proud on the partnership with Aranet. The horticultural domain is changing and with this change we see a growing demand for data. Wireless sensors are a great way to get extra data in a fast, flexible and reliable way. With this partnership we have the right combination of expertise to make a giant step with wireless technology in horticulture. So what is RNet? RNet is essentially a wireless sensor network. You have sensors like these that are sending the data to a base station like this over here. They use the 868 megahertz frequency in Europe and the 920 megahertz frequency in the United States, which means that the distance between the sensor and the base station can be up to three kilometers line of sight and inside the greenhouse environment around 300 meters. You can have up to a hundred of these sensors, all different types of sensors per base station, and you can configure them to send the data in four different intervals, either once every minute, once every two minutes, once every five minutes, or once every 10 minutes. And they are very power efficient. The battery on this will last up to 10 years, and this is a typical AA battery. The Aronet Pro base station has the internal memory to record the data for up to 10 years, and it has capabilities to connect to your uh, PC, your laptop, your phone for configuration via Ethernet cable or via Wi-Fi and it also has a uh, built-in web server that houses the software that means you don't need any installation whatsoever it's relatively easy to configure and pretty much plug-and-play so let's talk a little bit about what kind of sensors we have we have sensors like temperature probe sensors so this is an example of the temperature probe sensor that I mentioned so that's for just measuring temperature. Of course, uh, CO2, and that also comes with inbuilt temperature sensor. That's why the popular sensor is the weight sensor that allows growers to follow the biomass increase of the plant. Another interesting sensor is uh, the temperature and relative humidity sensor with solar shield and a passive ventilation. Typically what you get in greenhouses is that normal sensors, you know, uh, they heat up in the Sunlight. So if you know you have direct sunlight on the sensor, the seed sensor heats up and it doesn't show the correct reading. And typically how you solve that uh, with wired sensors is that you just put a fan on it. But if you want to do it wirelessly, you know, fan is not really an option. Uh, so what we came up with is a sensor like this. So this is a passively ventilated temperature and relative humidity sensor. This is a hollow tube and the sensor goes in here. And when the sun shines, this black part, it heats up, but the reflective part remains cooler. And then the hotter air rises and you get 
a passive ventilation flow. And this is uh, basically as accurate as a fan aspirated sensor. If we're talking about other sensors, we have also a uh, PAR sensor, so a sensor for photosynthetically active radiation, a substrate moisture, EC and temperature sensor, stem diameter sensor, so that is a very precise instrument that can actually track the changes of the stem diameter with micron precision, ultrasonic water level sensors for monitoring, you know, the uh, levels in the tank, in the water tank for irrigation. And of course, we understand that we might not have all the, you know, necessary sensors in our portfolio. So what we have as well are these uh, universal 4 to 20 milliamp or voltage output sensor uh, transmitters and also pulse output. There's a lot of different sensors out in the market, you know, that measure, I don't know, let's say, for example, oxygen content in the soil, and they give a 4 to 20 milliamp out output, and you can connect that to our transmitter and essentially make your sensors wireless. So that can allow you to have a complete system. And that all, of course, integrates into the Priva environment. And here I will also let Patrick uh, explain uh, a little bit of the how part of our partnership. So Patrick, go ahead. As a grower, you don't want to spend hours in organizing data from different systems. That's why we have developed a complete integration of RNet within Priva Operator. This means that your wireless data is available in the same way as all your other greenhouse data. Now it's simply a matter of login, start to analyze and optimize your growing strategy. Horticulture is an ongoing growing process. That's why we believe it's not only about selling sensors. It's about supporting you during your growing process. With this partnership, we can support you with wireless technology via the Priva Partner Network. This means that there is always a specialist close to your area to support you with this new technology. On top of this, it is even possible to follow online trainings via the Priva Academy. In this way, we believe you get all the possibilities to get the maximum result out of the complete system. Thanks, Patrick. So now this brings us to the final slide and to the conclusion of our presentation. And I typically like to finish off with uh, this quote from William Thompson, or more commonly known as Lord Kelvin. And he said in the 1900s that you can only improve what you can measure. And this is something RNet really stands by, to bring these measurements into the greenhouses and bring them in the most easiest, most straightforward way possible so that you can improve your growing operation in the best possible manner. So thank you for your attention and I hope to see you at the Q&A session. Welcome back. I uh, really hope you enjoyed all presentations. Well, now it's time for uh, maybe the most fun part, the Q&A. And it's so cool that we've got all the speakers you saw in the, uh, in the presentations. They are live here, so uh, maybe we can switch to... Uh, yeah, so you can see all the speakers. Hi, guys. Great, you're, uh, you're here. Well, not really here, but uh, that you're joining. <laughs> really, uh, really appreciate that. Well, I already uh, expected this, but we have a lot of questions from the audience. So that's really cool. It's a, it's a hot topic, I think. Every grower and horticulture professional wants to know more about this. So 
Let's go to the first question. Um, that was from Andrew Lee. He's asking, I think, to Isabel and uh, Anna. Um, did anyone ask the question as to which approach had the greatest potential to be taken forward into the development of a commercial data-driven solution? Who's yeah, going to answer? Uh, yeah, I think uh, one of you, uh, please. Yeah, I think it's uh, good to make some uh, remarks because we are talking about the strategies uh, applied by the teams. So we have to say that we don't have insights or any contact with the algorithms that were uh, developed and used by the teams to remotely control the greenhouse. Uh, what we know, it's, uh, uh, what, uh, it's based on the 20-minute pitch that was given in front of the jury that then had to evaluate uh, these, uh, these strategies. And we have to consider that these strategies have been developed uh, for a certain uh, setup that was uh, an experiment with limited amount of time. Uh, but we know that in these, uh, let's say, limits, um, the teams has implemented some hybrid systems. So they use, for example, combination of mechanistic models with data-driven algorithms. And among them, we have data-enabled predictive control, for example, from the winner, we have reinforcement learning and LSTM. However, uh, so we cannot say with certainties whether these uh, systems that showed some potential within our experimental um, setup will have also applicability uh, in the commercial greenhouse. So in this case, I think we really need to uh, run tests and try to uh, validate them in a, in a small, uh, in a larger, let's say, uh, setup, which is uh, the, the commercial greenhouse. Okay. Thank you, Isabella, for your answer. Um, let's go to the next question. Wim van der Ende, uh, hi Wim, great you're there, is asking how can we guarantee the quality of the data? There's of course a lot of data coming from uh, uh, all the sensors and from the greenhouse, but how can we guarantee the quality of it? Uh, is there anybody specific who would like to answer on this? Yeah, I can take this one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, actually, it's a good question uh, because the quality of the data is important uh, as well as the quantity of it. Uh, well, uh, the first thing is to make sure uh, we use a good quality hardware and a good quality connection and uh, have a, a good stream of uh, data. Uh, so it is uh, automated and uh, eliminate as much as manual work as possible because when it is uh, when some things are entered manually or uh, manual labor labor involved whenever uh, then the quality uh, can drop dr drastically so mm -hmm. these are the measures we can take uh, to, to make sure we have the uh, most uh, good quality data that we can have. Is there anybody else I who also would like to answer? I, yeah, Tom. Yeah, um, I agree that uh, data quality is actually very crucial to have uh, yeah, the most efficient insights. And that's also why we, as to grow, we offer a consultancy service where our service team is watching those measurements weekly and we guarantee a positive data quality. And if not, we just come to you and uh, we fix it. Just to add on top top of that, uh, I, I would really like to accent, uh, put an accent on the part of the hardware because uh, you have to kind of 
use the right hardware and, and, and use the, the type of hardware that will actually represent uh, what, what is actually happening there. So for example, uh, in my presentation, I mentioned the uh, idea of the sensors heating up due to sunlight. So you have to have hardware that eliminates these sorts of things so, so that you're completely sure that the uh, measurement you are measuring is actually the thing that you want to measure. Okay, thank you. Thank you for this uh, add-on. Um, let's go to the next question. Um, Lauren from France is asking, there's so much development on autonomous growing. Does this mean that anybody can grow in the future? You actually do not need a grower anymore. What are your thoughts on this? It's uh, maybe a difficult question, but uh, team uh, Wageningen University, can you uh, give your thoughts or share your ideas on this? Well, if I can take this one. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, I think the purpose is now to develop, uh, to explore initially how AI can support growers in decision-making. So uh, in decisions regarding climate or crop management, but uh, once we do explore the potential and then we test the, the methodologies in small and large-scale uh, compartments, the goal is, I think, not to completely replace growers, but to assist growers in their decisions. Um, and uh, sorry, I have it double sound here. Um, no worries. The, sorry, can you please? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, the goal is to support decision. Uh, the, the goal is to really support decision making of growers mm -hmm. and uh, not replace them. Um, sorry, yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, maybe I can think continue. Isabella needs to mute because you're together there, right? Yeah. The, the question is, is not if we will, uh, if we want to replace the work, the growers, but we can, for for example, ask the question, what is needed, so we can evaluate whether the growers need a system or who is our end user for this kind of uh, for this kind of systems, um, and for some less experienced uh, growers, for example, kind of this kind of system can really support the decision. I think. Okay, but does that mean that growers that do not have experience in the future maybe? Uh, uh can also just grow crops without any uh, without any experience. Is there anybody who wants to answer that one? Tom, what do you think? Um, I think that what's going to happen is that actually, you know, uh, the growers will have to become a bit more uh, advanced themselves because this still uh, require will always require some kind of pre-planning and I think you have to look at this uh, technology working in you know conjunction with growers right so uh, the the all of this will give a lot of more insights for the grower to actually find out more things about their crop and to really uh, put their greenhouse and the crop in balance but I don't foresee, at least in, in, in the near future, this, this uh, completely, you know, taking the gro grower outside of the equation. It's actually just a uh, very good tool for the grower to become, you know, smarter. Yeah. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, a question for MJTEC. What about disease increment by having high RH? You might uh, increase bacterial and fungal infection. 
Yes, um, uh, on that question, uh, we know indeed uh, if you keep the humidity uh, too high for a long period, uh, that this is indeed a risk that uh, needs to be looked after. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we see is that um, if you control uh, the system in the right way with uh, your climate control computer, plus also the sensors, uh, we see that uh, people are uh, looking for the border of how far can we go with the usage. Uh, and sometimes uh, what we have seen with uh, uh, feedbacks from, uh, for example, Delphi, when it's about strawberries also, um, you can still maybe keep it longer at a higher humidity than you might originally think as a grower. And, uh, and I think uh, here uh, the key thing is look back at your crop. What is your crop telling? Is your crop, your VPD of your crop in the right balance? And is the recovery done? Uh, and that is determining what you should do with humidity. Thank you. Somebody else wants to add something to this? Okay, then we go to the next question because we've got still got many. Thank you, JJ, for your answer. Uh, how can we compare the accuracy of yield forecast to growers' own ability? It's a question from Phil. Yeah, I think uh, I can answer this one. Uh, yeah, there is uh, sometimes uh, there is kind of another misconception uh, among the growers. It's kind. It's kind of a um, kind of a problem sometimes uh, because if you need to compare, you need the numbers. Uh, but if it is uh, subjective information, uh, like a gut feeling, it's uh, it's not possible to compare. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, growers can uh, think that they they are almost 100% correct, but uh, for example, if we uh, investigate further, uh, when we take out the data uh, and uh, look at some uh, weeks of forecast, for example, and if there is an outlier and when we ask the growers, but uh, there is a deviation too high here how do you explain that and they sometimes say oh, okay there was a kind of a disease then so just i ignore this data so i uh, focus on the uh, normal weeks so this is kind of a, a difficult question and it, it is best to uh, come up with uh, reliable uh, data uh, to compare also uh, the performance of, of of the accuracy of any kind of prediction or forecast. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and one of, one of the examples was one of the growers had an Excel sheet. They uh, they did a model, so I can compare it uh, numerically. Uh, they thought they were um, about ninety percent accurate, but uh, the the reality was around on average, uh, everything is included around seventy five percent. So that's one of uh, an example I can also. Uh, bring here. Thanks, Gursel. Um, anyone else want to share their thoughts on this? Then I think we already need to go to the last question. Wow, these uh, 15 minutes uh, 
They went so fast. Um, the last question, let's see. Well, I'm sorry, not all questions are answered yet, but I'm, I'm sure that the, uh, the guys will stay a bit longer and girls, of course, to answer it uh, after this, uh, after this w webinar. But uh, last question for now. Christy from UK is asking, what steps need to be taken to grow completely autonomous? And then I think Anna or Isabella is... Uh... Now from the same uh, laptop, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, more, uh, uh, more sensors for representative data, especially on crop responses. We should uh, get more feeling of uh, the feeling that the grower has actually in the greenhouse and uh, what the green fingers see, we should translate it into digital information because then that's the only way that we can use this information towards automation, uh, sensors, uh, and of course, um, exploration of uh, more data-driven methodologies to use actually this, uh, this, this data. And of course, robotics in the end, um, if we are going for a fully autonomous greenhouse that includes activities that now are not currently replaced by, um, by, 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 by robots, like for example, the uh, harvesting, we should explore also these applications um, that are currently done by greenhouse staff. Yeah, thanks. So still a lot of steps need to be taken for the complete autonomous greenhouse, I think, but uh, there are really cool developments on this side. Um, it's already time to, uh, to end this session. Um, for all people who are watching, uh, I see there are still many questions, so please go to the online environment of Green Tech and find the ones, uh, the people or the speakers you want to come in contact with uh, and just ask them your questions. And for our speakers, thank you so much. You can still uh, go to the chat and uh, come in contact with the people who ask the questions. So uh, I hope this continues a bit after, uh, after this session. For all speakers, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the presentation and for your time uh, for being live here during this q and I uh, wish you all a great day and hope to see you uh, the next time on Green Tech, but then in real life, right? <laughs> Take care. Thank Enjoy you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye and also for all uh, visitors, thank you for watching and uh, see you maybe in the next uh, session, which starts at... I think one o'clock already in half an hour. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.